Hello and welcome to the 16th episode of the Melbourne AWS User Group Podcast. My name is Arjen Swart and I'm once again your host today. Today, it comes as no surprise, we'll be talking about what's new in AWS. And today, that will concern June 2021. Also, it won't be a surprise that I'm joined, as always, by my good friends, Guy Morton. Hello. And Jean-Manuel Becker. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening. So, let's just dive into it. This month, finally in Sydney, has entries, unlike last month. So we can immediately talk about that. Mm -hmm. We've talked about Aqua, I think it was last month or the month before when it became GA and it's now available in Sydney. So Aqua is the query accelerator for Redshift with some lovely caching and all that stuff to make things faster. Up to 10 times faster, apparently. Yeah, with uh, design processor and nitro chips, um, super speed FPGA. But it's only available with RA3 16XL and RA3 4XL at no additional charge, but the machine itself are quite expensive mm. um, when you compare. Uh, well, it's a 12 CPU, I 96 gig memory, so it's just almost $4 per hour US. And then the 16X large is 48 CPU, 384 gig memory is $15 an hour. So you have plenty of good stuff with it. Mm. But it's quite expensive uh, mm. to compare a, a little four CPU 32 gig mem uh, memory is just a uh, dollar thirty an hour. Mm. So um, yeah, plenty of good stuff. If you want to run Aqua, you need the advanced version. Uh, but um, obviously, Aqua will run really fast on the very fast machine. But those are the current generation ones, right? Because the smaller ones, they only are older generation machines, if I remember correctly. Mm. So, so these chips that um, that they've, they're using here, the the specific nitro chips that are that have got that that have got um, additional um, hardware specifically to serve this purpose, is that right? Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm just looking at the docker here. It says, you know, speed up data encryption and compression. Obviously, that makes sense because the data is presumably encrypted at rest, and so you need to encrypt uh, decrypt it when you're working on it. Customs analy custom analytics processes implemented in FPGAs. FPGAs are cool and it's nice to see, I guess, them being used in a product that makes it easy for you to get the benefits of, of, of that kind of very specific kinds of hardware. Yeah, and um, yeah, so optimizing around scans, filtering and aggregation. So you're really getting a that's, I guess, the benefit of some custom-designed hardware specifically designed to do those those queries on Redshift. So, yeah, so I guess to take your point, JM, yes, you're paying, you're paying a premium for the service, but you're getting something which is sort of custom-built for that exact use case. Exactly. Top of the industry, I mean, FPGA and everything is not what you, you can see on prime, right? It's quite yep. probably difficult to it's exactly to right. organize yeah. for your for your uh, Redshift cluster. So yeah, pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. And then we have EMR Studio as well coming to Sydney. Um, it's uh, EMR Studio is an integrated development environment IDE uh, that makes easy for data scientists to develop and visualize debug big data with all Python, Scala, PySpark, all of that already in, in, um, installed. EMR Studio provide a Jupyter Notebook and, uh, you know, you can do everything you need to do with your EMR cluster and uh, you can integrate with single sign-on of AWS. And because of that, you can use Okta, Azure AD, OneLoading, Ping, Microsoft AD and all the rest to access your data. So again, you know, nice environment to have, highly secure with single sign-on for, from your uh, enterprise identity. It's pretty cool. I think it's, you can only use AWS single sign-on to log into it. Yeah, but but then you can link single sign-on with Optine as you're ready or one login and do all the integration before um, SSO. So that's that's the advantage. Yeah. Yeah, but you'll still have to set up SSO first. Oh yeah, you need SSO for sure. Yeah, yeah, you need SSO first to give you the gate for all your uh, identity providers. Yeah. Is one of the advantages of this that you're sort of giving your data scientists a, a, a sort of standalone 
split out from you know any kind of requirement to integrate into the console or understand how to drive AWS in a broader sense. You're kind of giving them a custom design tool that's just for them. Yeah, and you can remove the access to uh, EMR itself, and it's just from the studio. Yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah. Pretty, pretty much more control access to data as well. PR information and, and liabilities and all that is a very big thing at the moment everywhere, uh, even at AWS and, and in consulting world. So um, that's going to be helping for sure. So let's have a look at our serverless things. And I think the top one on the list uh, is one that you are excited about, Guy. Yes. Yes. Well, I, I, you know, as, as listeners to this podcast will know, whenever there's mention of step functions, my, my heart starts racing. So, I mean, I'm a big fan of the sort of low code, no code approach to building things. And um, step functions obviously gives you the AWS flavor of that. So this tool... Uh, extension of step functions is essentially just uh, in the console a you know drag and drop UI for building workflows um, essentially for for designing your state machine and you can drag and drop you know all of the various AWS service integrations um, into your flow and visualize it instead of having to kind of write it as YAML or JSON and then you can kind of see a little picture of it. You're kind of going at it from the construction side, being able to construct it visually as well. So I think it'll help a couple of ways if you're wanting to use step functions or if you're new to the concepts. I think it'll help you make use of all the integrations that are there. And it is it is interesting to see the number of integrations that are there. There's a big list now because AWS has put a lot of work into um, integrating step functions with all the things over the last few years. So, um, so there's that. Um, and I think also just because for some people, I think, you know, having to compose a state machine in, in YAML would have been a, a, a bridge too far. But, you know, this gives them a way of gives people who aren't necessarily coders the ability to, to also get um, some advantage out of out of what sent functions can do. No, you only missed one thing in your explanation. Mm-hmm. The name of the surface. <laughs> okay. So it's called, I did mention workflow. It's World Workflow Studio. Thank you, Ian, for picking that up. You're, you're dead right. Um, it's it's hard to it's hard to miss though. If you go into the Set Functions console, it's pretty much um, it's pretty it's pretty much right in front of you there. Yeah, yeah, right, nice. The other what about function- the the synchronous invocation? Yeah, Express workflow. I'm sure you love that too. Yeah, so that, that's the other thing that's that's nice to see. I mean, it's probably yeah, well, it's a bit Set Functions and it's a bit API Gateway. So there was a um, up until this month, if you wanted to do a, an, an, an invocation of a synchronous express workflow, step functions workflow, you had to use HTTP APIs. You couldn't use REST APIs because they weren't integrated with that yet. Now you can. So um, if you don't, don't want to go down the road of using HTTP APIs or there's things in the REST API that just does, it doesn't appear as a feature in HTTP APIs like... Um, uh, um, request templates you can use a rest api now to do an express workflow invocation so that is a very neat and good thing it is indeed so any specific use case you would think of i mean i'm looking at open banking or the cdr or for for synchronous express workflows yeah or f- yeah the, the well part. Yeah, yeah. So I, I had a perfect application for it in a gig that I did earlier this year, and that was um, integrating with a, an existing process. So we were building an app, so we needed to make a synchronous call to this back end, um, make a request, get an answer back. But the actual process behind the scenes that needed to be invoked was a file had to be created, had to be put on a file system, had to be written to a database. There was a sort of a cron, not a cron job, but a, an event-driven thing happening there that picked up a file and processed it and rewrote it and put another file somewhere else. And you know, then the machine went bing when it was ready sort of thing. So... The, the actual process itself was asynchronous, but we needed a synchronous process, so we used a synchronous um, workflow to to basically make that process synchronous as far as the app was concerned. So without that, you'd have had to essentially trigger the process and then poll for a result. Yeah. Um, so this this wrapped it all up into a nice little bundle, which, yeah, it's a definitely a, it's, it's a lot of applications for that sort of thing. Sounds good. Hmm. So just another thing, considering the names of things here, like, Workflow Studio, Express Workflows. Do you ever get the feeling that somebody at AWS regrets the name Step Functions? Yes. Yes, I think probably. Yeah. I mean, look, it's not like 
there isn't a big room in AWS full of regret about names. <laughs> they've got a, they've got a, there's a whole floor of a building somewhere in, I'm pretty sure, um, dedicated to regret about naming of products. But what can you do? Once it's out there, you know, what have they, they have renamed things, haven't they? Like they renamed, um, they renamed system manager twice. <laughs> so, so when they do rename things, it doesn't necessarily end, end well anyway. So let's just agree that, um, no, but they renamed, was it the Cassandra product? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Cause it was key spaces and then it got called Amazon key spaces for Cassandra. I think, I think there was something like that. Yeah. But, um, Yeah. Anyway, look, it's the gift that keeps on giving, really, isn't it? AWS and their product names. Can make fun of it for hours. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. But now the next product we can talk about, though, has a really cool name. So, you know, they don't always get it wrong. Amplify is a good product name. So what have they done to Amplify IAM? They've added support for permission boundaries on IAM roles that Amplify generates. So for those of you not completely familiar, IAM permission boundaries are basically something to limit what you can do with your IAM role. Generally, one of the things that a boundary has is that you can't create IAM roles without that same boundary. This is a way to stop, for example, a developer from creating an admin level role. Yeah. So in that regard, it's a very good thing. And it's always good to see it getting added. Yeah. Actually seeing this reminded me that something I always forget about, but that AWS SSO doesn't support permission boundaries, which is a bit annoying. Mm. <laughs> Ironic. Yeah. And I mean, I think the thing with Amplify is that it's they really focus on the developer experience, so they don't want to they don't want to block the developer from being able to do things that they need to be able to do. And permission boundaries are a nice sort of guardrail around uh, you know giving a developer the ability to do things, but do them safely. Yeah, yeah. Don't accidentally delete a VPC or something. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, cool. Then the rest is all on the Lambda side, but nothing super major, I think. One is almost more CSD item where AWS now supports container images that you can use in your CI systems. So if you want to build serverless applications, you can just use these AWS supported containers to do your builds in. Yeah. It's nice. It's for several different CI systems that, that they mention. So, so they have CloudBees, Jenkins, GitLab, CICD, GitHub Actions, CircleCI, and AWS Contribute. It's on the public ECR gallery from AWS. You can pick the latest version and just build with your runners. Cool. And then the last thing for Lambda was that Lambda can now have Tesla plane authentication for functions that are triggered from a self-managed Apache Kafka. That's nice if you're using self-managed Kafka. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many people do that. My feeling is that most of the time it would either be Confluent or MSK. Yeah. But if you've got that specific use case, then rejoice because you've got a supported solution right now. SAS all plain alt from, for Lambda from self-managed Kafka. Shall we move on to containers? Yep. Quick look there. Not a lot of news. The biggest, most interesting one is probably that if you use Fargate on EKS, it now supports custom security groups. So you can give your Fargate containers their own security groups. This is nice, obviously, again, from a security perspective and making sure that everything is limited. Yeah, you need uh, EKS 118 for that. But um, yeah, very good addition that was missing. That was possible before on ECS. Now it's possible as well on EKS. Yep. We have AppMesh. So AppMesh has some ingress improvements. Basically, you can now rewrite external requests so that they get correctly routed into your environment. Yes. Yeah, you use getaway route to provide a flexible control um, to enable and disable the rewrite and, and uh, send destination based on hostname or header. So very good for microservices into uh, a big uh, environment. Um, and then at the same time, AWS released the controller for Kubernetes 1.4 uh, to be able to have the benefit of the app mesh enhancement into EKS. Almost as if that could have been in the same announcement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the last one on the container side is a lovely name. Um, customize and package dependencies with your Apache Spark applications on Amazon 
EMR on Amazon EKS. <laughs> That's not confusing at all. So I think it's great that EMR runs on EKS. I do think they could have given it an actual name if they're going to keep referring to it. Mm, yeah, they could have called it EKMRS. They could have called it. Just put mash all the letters together. <laughs> but it's, it's not... It's if you start one product, right? You need to have your EKS cluster on one side, and then you go to EMR, and then you ask EMR, use that EKS, please. So it's uh, still two products. Well, it's two products, but they, 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 they're, they're putting them together for you, helping you put them together. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm with Aryan. They should have called it something else. And, and um, yeah, even if it was just uh, yeah, EKS plus EMR or something like that, that would be good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, EKS is just a runner for it. But what it allows you to do is basically what you could already do with regular EMR and that is customize and package dependencies. Yeah. Apparently it's great, it's big news, but it sounds like something that should have been there from the start. EC2 VPCs? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, know, I know, JM, you're just itching to start talking about the NAT gateway, aren't you? Yes, I mean, it's, I, 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 lo- I love cool. the idea. To be honest, I didn't have enough time to do enough testing to really understand how the different implication we could use that NAT getaway being private. So in the past, AWS had a NAT getaway that we were using to do egress traffic. You were attaching an elastic IP to it and routing that through the internet getaway and, and uh, protecting uh, your, your machine with nothing. Now you don't have to have an EIP on it and you don't have to have an internet getaway as well in your VPC. You can create a NAT getaway sitting in your private subnets and use that as a nothing uh, component by pointing your route to the uh, ENI of that NAT getaway. So I think I'm seeing a lot of usage there where you have maybe overlapping IP addresses range with on-prem or overlapping ranges between VPCs and you still want them to talk somehow. That would be very interesting to kind of have a use case for that and, and build uh, that simulation and really test it and then push it to the limit. I think that will solve a lot of problems for people who have overlapping IP addresses. Well, it's just going to be a lot and lot, lot, a lot neater to, though too, isn't it? I mean, if you don't actually need the internet gateway and you don't need public subnets for any other reason, this is nice because you just drop the, the net gateway in your private subnet and Bob's your uncle. You don't have to do anything else, right? But you, you will route them and, and all your VPC will be hidden be, be between behind that, that private IP. And that opened the world maybe to, you know, access some firewall on-prem or some other things that some customers are a bit scared sometimes. And I've seen some design where they design multiple subnet and open subnet on the firewall on-prem to access some data because they're scared of being auto-scaling and stuff like that. So they, they create very small subnet and just put three machines in there. I mean, all this type of weird design maybe could be simplified with, with a NAT getaway and then authorized. Everything is routed through that subnet to access that particular uh, firewall on-prem. So yeah, a lot of use case. Um, I'm, I'm itchy to build something and really test to the limit. It's available in all regions, in all VPCs now. Yep. No, it looks good. Looks like probably one of the more useful announcements for the month. Yeah, again, like a small line, small announcement, but um, might have yeah. a huge impact on how we design network. Yeah. And yeah. How we, we solve networking issue in AWS. Yep. So there's a couple of other things. There's now a, um, what's the flag, deprecated? Deprecation time. Deprecation time. You can set on a AMI. So you can, can, I guess, put a use-by date on it, essentially, is what it is. A use-by date on your AMI. Um, So that's neat. But what's good is the AMI won't show in your list anymore, so you can't pick it. But you still can build with the same ID because the AMI is still there. So yep. it, does, it doesn't break, you know, Autoscan Group or the things who hasn't been updated yet. Yep. Uh, but you can flag it as, you know, don't use that next time. Um, mm. So, yeah, interesting. Um, good, good addition there for, for management of AMI. Yeah, well, it's nice that it's something that helps you not, not use it accidentally, but doesn't prevent you from using it when you need to. Yeah, yeah. And that's the advantage, of course, of having a custom field that's understood by AWS so they can do magical things. You'll probably still want Lambda or something that runs once in a while or AWS config to check if you don't have any instances that are running with a deprecated AMI. Yeah, yeah, but at least then you can manage it mindfully, right? Yeah. Yeah, it would be easy, actually. You you will list all the deprecated version 
and then use that list into your Lambda to check if anything exists live with the uh, IMI ID. Yeah, that's cool. Mm. Some idea there. Yeah. <laughs> Another good thing, I think, um, crash consistent AMI, for instance, with multiple EBS volume without promoting instances. Um, very interesting for people who run SQL servers or Oracle servers on EC2. Uh, it was a nightmare before uh, to be able to do a crash consistent uh, uh, snapshots. Now it's all automatic. It's all running in the background for you. And um, there, I don't know how AWS does it. Are they dumping all the IOPS at one time and flush all the disk and then do the snapshot for you or, or how they do it in the background. But that's a good addition for database users on EC2. And at the same time, now AWS Backup support mm. that consistent backup automatically for you. And you don't have to do it, anything. Now it's by default. Uh, you don't have to claim anything or, or, or claim anything to AWS Backup to do it. It will make a crash consistent snapshot of your multiple EBS volume. So um, very good addition, especially for Windows and database world. Yep. yep. Very neat. An interesting one that actually came as a surprise to me because I completely forgot that it wasn't the case already is per second billing for EC2 Windows and SQL. I went back and looked at the original announcement when everything when I thought everything switched to per second billing and indeed it just said the Linux instances. Yeah. But on the other hand, the Mac instances do have one second billing. You just have to pay for the first 24 hours regardless. <laughs> but after that, it's per second. Yeah, right. That was probably a Microsoft licensing issue and not really, uh, uh, yeah. So. The, the per second billing, you reckon? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Like, like the Mac issue is the same thing. Yeah, yeah right, right. That, that you have to have it going for 24 hours before, before you can access one second billing on the Macs, yeah. Yeah, and then the other one is for... Infron instances, which is the Inferentia powered ones. So Inferentia was the custom chip that was built for machine learning, so similar to like what you use a GPU for, but then one that they've custom built just for this. And that now comes new features, improved performance, lower prices, all the things you want when you want to when you use it. Nice. It sounds like the guy standing in front of Dimmy's or, um, you know, the the discount shop. New features, improved performance, lower prices. Come and get them here. So DevOps. Our big friend Proton is back. Yes. And is now GA. Mm. Um, it's still not in Sydney, so I still haven't had a, taken a good look at it to see whether it is actually worth my time or not. Yeah, it looks like the kind of thing you probably need to run a test project in and it needs to be big enough that it is worth dipping your toe into the sort of whole ecosystem of it, but small enough that you're not going to have regret when it disappoints you, if it disappoints you. I, I feel like as well it's difficult to find customers, so AWS, but to be 100% committed everything to AWS from cloud formation to mm. pipeline, code build, and everything. They all have mm. their own tools, and suddenly Proton kind of become a, a problem in the middle. Um, so you need to give your soul and heart to AWS and use Proton. That's probably good to use, but if you have anything outside of that, that's going to be a pain to integrate. Mm. That's my view at the moment. Yeah, it's a bit. It's a bit hard to sell, as as Jesse was saying. I think you, you need to really give it a give it a test drive and find out how much um, pain it it removes from from the management of of those sorts of environments. Um, it may well be that you try it and you go, you know, I had no idea my life could be so easy, and then you you're gonna drink the Kool Aid, you know completely um or it could just be marginal in which case yeah the sorts of concerns you're raising jm would come back of you know if you're going to invest time in 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 i guess using it um or learning it are you going to be able to apply it to enough use cases to uh, make it worth your while it's obviously makes perfect sense for a you know a business has gone into aws and is building their own environment and they're not sort of um you know they're all in on aws and they want to go fully native. Yeah, um, yeah. like a startup you know. or Greenfield, yep. Yep. a new app to build. That. It makes sense to give it yep. a go and you have yep. a separate environment for that. Yeah, And then you can move from dev to UAT to prod quite easily and, and have all the Proton system just kind of take care of it all. But um, yep. yeah, 
but probably it's still probably i mean and, and maybe we'll get excited when it comes to sydney or melbourne <laughs> wherever it lands first wherever whenever yeah um but yeah it's, it's probably a bit it's probably not got a huge market in Australia, I would suggest, at this point in time, because the companies that are big enough to probably be happy happy to run it in Oregon, let's say, or where their major workloads are, are, are not in Sydney, um, are probably also going to be the same customers who are going to say, oh, actually, no, I want to be able to put a, put a workload here or there, or I, I don't want to go all in on just using AWS tooling. So yeah, I suspect they probably haven't hit the market that this product probably doesn't really meet a market need in Australia right now. When it's in Sydney, maybe it will, but I'd say while it's not in Sydney, it probably doesn't. Moving on to the next announcement here, the public registry for CloudFormation. The other big exciting one of the month. Yep. So over the past couple of years, CloudFormation allowed you to do a couple of things. Like first you could create your own resource types. So you had your own custom things to deploy something that is not AWS related or even AWS related. And then late last year, they introduced modules, which is related to that. And it allows you to basically predefine how you want certain CloudFormation templates to work. These were all limited to use within a single account. But now it's possible also to publish these to a public registry and use them from there. So obvious use cases for this would be, say, you have third-party systems that you want to deploy things to as well and that you want to use as part of that. So you pull in their resource type and deploy your Datadog configuration or any of the other launch partners that they mentioned, Trend Micro, Snake, Plunk, all those things um, that you can run outside of AWS or within AWS even, but they predefine everything for you and it makes it easier. It's still missing, in my opinion, the more useful part where you can share these things within an organization. I'm sure that JM agrees with me there that it's far more useful for most of us to be able to define a resource type or module that can be used within an organization. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mentioned that uh, to the AWS product uh, when they released the, the new AWS modules to be able to have a central repository share with RAM across multiple accounts to be able to use all these modules and call this module across the enterprise. The same way as we use Terraform, and that's why Terraform has been so popular in enterprise because you can have that, you know, vested uh, quality uh, of your code into the modules and just, I want an S3, I want an SQS, I want an ETS, and, and just a couple of variables that you are, you are running. Well, that's a good good direction, but being public, I'm not sure if a lot of companies going to share except if they are something to sell to you, um, the the uh, CloudFormation template. And of course, if you want to see how you can abuse it, um, <laughs> you'll find a link for it in the show notes. But Ian Mackay showed how he built a resource type to buy stocks for you, <laughs> or of course, sell them when you tear down the stack. You're still in the credit card, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you come with these ideas. Always <laughs> amaze me, or Jan does all of that. Um, things that, JM might be more interested in. You always love your control tower stuff. Ah, uh, control tower, I kind of love and hate. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's still in not all in all regions, so I don't know what they're doing there. Why they take so long to deploy this stuff? Kind of annoying. Uh, but some improvement, some console improvement, uh, where they replace some JavaScript and stuff like that. But mostly, thirty-five uh, percent. Uh, improvement to enable and disable a couple of guardrails across multiple accounts, a, a better uh, controlled uh, account uh, factory creation, and uh, you can as well register and register faster org unit into your control tower. Unit version 2.7 uh, for that landing zone control tower to work. Um, so please update it, keep it updated across your regions and disable the region you don't want to use that can make it faster as well. Is there a reason? Well, there probably is. Still no API. Sorry, still no API. <laughs> still, still a console product. That, that, that wasn't going to be my question, but <laughs> but yes, that is that I'm sure I feel your pain. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think it's one of the, like it, it, um, you kind of assume that control tower will be kept up to date, but it isn't like you're, you know, the, the fact you have to do landing zone updates comes sort of comes as a surprise, I think. But I suppose that's because there's a risk in an update that maybe something might go wrong. Is that, is, is, is that the reason? There's plenty of stuff can go wrong. And, and yeah. if they go wrong, you can fix it yourself as well. You need to open a, a case like mm. if you have a guy who rename an OU, for example, and which is an OU owned by control tower. Control mm. will crash, go all red, 
your organization will still operate and stuff like that, but Cosmos mm-hmm. Tower will be right, and you need to have uh, uh, AWS support to fix it for you in the backend. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what's Control Tower in the backend. I would suspect it's maybe 100 uh, Lambda function with a lot of Jinja template, what, <laughs> like it used mm-hmm. to be with uh, AWS Linux Zone. Mm-hmm. That's running into an AWS account that they provide to you, and then you, you don't see that. But yeah, eventually, when improve, it's been two years now that product has been around. They could go a bit faster. That's my rant for today. It's a very nice rant. Well done. And, and you can see AWS is still using all the product. Like there's a CDK version of the landing zone now provided by AWS for public sector. There is, there is Terraform version. There is cloud formation version. There is still very confusing for customers, despite the direction that Jassy gave two years ago about Control Tower. That could be the landing zone is now. It's still, <clears throat> because it doesn't fulfill a lot of the need of, of a proper landing zone, which is all the networking component. It fulfilled the um, account creation, some config rules, some SCPs and stuff like that for controlling and security, but not everything. And you still need to do a lot of stuff manually. Like enab- enabling guard duty for them both. You still need to do it yourself. Mm-hmm. So yeah, still a bit to go. Still uh, some work to do with my customers. Mm. Cool. There was some love for GitHub Actions Mm -hmm. from AWS. So related to an earlier announcement, it is now easier again to build serverless applications with GitHub Actions. Basically, it's just an action that installs the SAM CLI for you. So it's not like it's anything big, but... Mm. It's pretty handy, though. Yep. You still need uh, an IAM access key, a secret key for GitHub Actions to work? Can you use a role now? No, because it's not within AWS. You need yeah. Keys. Although there's a project on GitHub that somehow manages to get roles for you. Right. I've been meaning to check out how well it works, but I don't know. Yeah, because that's a big stopper for my customers to use GitHub Actions at the moment. Uh, they want to use private runners with with roles uh, and not having key with good access into uh, into a GitHub repo. So yeah, or into an action, even with secret. Even with encryption and all of that, it's still a bit risky. Right. Um, they, they, there were some other GitHub Actions uh, announcements too around the uh, Code Guru, right? Uh, GitHub Actions basically to to tie that in with Code Guru to enable you to run Code Guru um, uh, Code Guru checks for Java is, detector. Is it? Is it the, yeah, the yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So that was the other thing. Okay. Actually, I'm just looking at. That's GitHub Actions, the Code Guru one. Hmm. It's Code Guru, Code Guru Reviewer. Yeah, that also mentions a GitHub Actions that you can use to use roles somehow. Okay. You can make it assume a role. So I guess then you can have keys that allow you to assume a role only. Temporary keys, yeah. So you still need, no, you still need access key. Yeah. Mm. But you only use that to assume a role. Okay. Which is, I guess, slightly better, but still not. <laughs> it's only slightly better, really. But yeah, okay. Yeah, otherwise you will have the token as a variable as well. You will see the token that's just as you got key access to in the region. Yeah. But I think I may have interrupted you talking about what it was. I was just, I was just noting that I guess AWS is pushing Code Guru quite hard. And I guess it makes sense for them to get into the marketplace in GitHub for code review because that's such a big area in GitHub. You know, it's got integrations for all the other um, myriad of tools, like Snick and all that stuff. So there's a lot of code quality tools in there already. And it made sense for them to want to get Code Guru into that marketplace, I guess. Yeah, that actually makes me think. Do you think that they're going to extend? Code Guru to do something similar to um, GitHub's Copilot. <laughs> I don't know. And AI generates code for you. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> I mean, it sort of does that in offering suggestions. Right. But it doesn't quite write it from scratch for you. Yeah, I mean, I haven't I haven't used Code Guru, so I don't know what it does, and um, I haven't used GitHub Copilot either. So you, you'd be the expert on that, whether that's a convergence there waiting to happen. Well, let's wait for reinvent and see if it happens there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It'll be Code Guru ML, and uh, yeah, you just tell you just you're t- talking to Alexa. 
you'll just say, Alexa, write me a program that, uh, you know, does X, Y, Z, and they'll just run off and code guru ML will just, you know, package it for you and um, squirt it into GitHub or code commit or deploy it. I don't know. Something like that will happen. Probably comes with a special editor as well called Code Guru ML Studio. <laughs> Almost certainly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one last thing for dev and upside systems manager now supports free text search for a node in the session manager console if you've used systems manager or well if you've used session manager in that regard i guess going through systems manager you can can probably know how annoying it is to find the instance you need which is why you shouldn't go there but just look in the ec2 console where it's a lot easier (laughs) but now you can do a free text search uh, which is to be honest, the way it's implemented seems like the cheapest, quickest, dirtiest way to do it because it just offers you, do you want to search on this, this, or this instead of just filtering by everything. <laughs> but it's an improvement. It's an improvement. That sounds almost like it would be a harder way to implement it than just searching on everything and not bothering to ask you. But anyway. Let's have a look at security on. This was the other nice announcement, was the KMS multi-region keys. Oh, yeah. It's very interesting. So, yeah, you can uh, have multi-region keys now, which that was, you know, in every AWS um, exam question that you could pass, that was always, you want to use KMS in other region, what do you do? Mm. Um, so now you can create a key. You need to define it at creation time, uh, if it's single region or multi-region, and then it will replicate. Then you can't change the property later. So that's very important for that. Mm-hmm. And then you can use that key to encrypt stuff from, from S3, from, uh, DynamoDB and other things. Uh, and then obviously have a better posture for, um, multi-region disaster recovery, backup, DynamoDB, DynamoDB global table and all of that. So, um, yeah, very big improvement. Again, I think AWS is pushing for multi-region. There is more region to come online as well. So that that is that that push to have a presence for high availability in multiple region instead of using multi-cloud. I think that's one of the strategy. Yep, definitely. And and it's it's a bit of a pigeon pair with the secrets manager being able to go multi-region as well. But that's those two things between them are quite nice um, announcements that happened this year. Both happened this year. I'm sure that the big Netflix or Airbnb will be quite happy to have this type of um, improvement product to be able mm. to do better um, optimization between regions. Yeah. Yeah. It just, just reduces overhead, really, mm. doesn't it? That you had to fiddle around making that happen before, whereas now you don't need to. Or just encrypt go, and re encrypt that one yeah. in so much time. Yeah. yeah. Then just, just go multi region, bingo, bingo, bongo, and away you go. Um, AWS wife, wife, sorry, as well. And- <laughs> AWS wife. <laughs> <laughs> no, the wife. Highly, highly available. Wife, wife, <laughs> wife version two, uh, add 15 new text transformations. So that, that's quite an interesting, uh, rules that you can create to be able to do some widgets patterns, detect, uh, do some string matching, uh, to detect people who try to re-encode, you know, SQL injection with X or, or other type of uh, Unicode to try to attack your, um, and create a, a payload into your, your application. So now you can use a lot of text transformation to put back the text that it should be or remove the text when it shouldn't be, uh, before you reach other type of WAF rules and before you touch your load balancer. So that's a good improvement for WAF, more, more stuff in the WAF world. And at no additional cost. Yes. Well, the cost of, you still need to run the rules. You still need yep. to have the processing sure. uh, points and stuff like that. Yeah, but, that, but that, it's that, not an additional yeah. cost uh, beyond exactly. that. Yeah. 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 And Jim, I know how much you usually like your um, private certificate authority stuff. Oh, yes. Um, with Resource Access Manager. So set, um, AWS private certificate authority now support more flexible flexibility for CA to share across account. So, um, a bit more management with RAM. Uh, RAM has an improvement as well. You can share per roles and uh, you can customize more your certificate. I think you can allow some insurance, so like you can forbid to use um, a star 
um, wildcard certificate and, and stop the export as well. So a bit more management for uh, sharing your private certificate authority across multiple accounts. Sounds good. Um, Security Hub announcement. You're also pretty keen on that, usually, JM, aren't you? <laughs> you flick me all the security stuff. Yes, I did some research on that. Um, there is 16 new control in the foundation security best practice. So Security Hub has a set of uh, security best practice you can apply, CIS, NIST, and all PCI now. And mm-hmm. there, is a, there is one called foundation security best practice from AWS point of view. So they'd add 16 new control for API Gateway, BinStore, RDS, uh, C2, CloudTrail, Redshift, Lambda, yeah. So a total of 131 security control um, that Security Gap can help for you to maintain best practice across your AWS account. And then you can federate that into one centralized audit account as well and have this one pan of glass uh, that security people love to be able to see all your uh, security uh, posture of all your database accounts in one place. Amazingly, I don't see many customers using Security Hub. They still trust very more kind of traditional type of security assessment. But I think the, the, the cost saving will be really compelling to use Security Hub as well. So um, yeah, maybe more to come on this one. Data storage and processing. There was an announcement around a Aurora Serverless version one supporting fast database cloning. That was reasonably notable, I guess. Uh, the other one I had is um, global clusters for Amazon Document DB. So Document DB, it's uh, the MongoDB compatibility version from AWS point of view, and obviously there are big okay. competitors that like uh, MongoDB Atlas as a SaaS service, and MongoDB Atlas offer uh, multi-region replication clusters for people who want to use MongoDB again in multi-region kind of uh, positions. So now with um, Amazon DocumentDB global clusters, you can create a cluster across multiple regions, up to 16 replica, uh, up to five secondary regions where you can replicate your MongoDB compatible DocumentDB version. So yeah, big improvement for the product there. Um, mm-hmm. yep. Another one there might be Athena version 2, which is like many of these, like Glue version 2, it just has some improvements. I'm guessing under the hood, there's just enough, a big of a change to the way it works that they have to make it a version 2 instead of just rolling it out as an incremental update. Yeah. It's available everywhere, it makes things obviously faster and work better so it's the um the probably the two comes from the fact that this is based on presto 0.217 and athena's initial engine was based on presto 0.172 so maybe that's the uh explanation for the number that it's just an increment on the underlying presto distribution that they've based it on it really makes me feel so happy to hear that it went from a version 0.1 to <laughs> 0.2 that really enforces my trust in the product. Zero point something. Yeah, yeah. Look, I think that's just um, it's just it's just that some some development teams just are very the very coy about ever releasing a version one because they just never think that it's good enough or they just you know yeah. they've just got this they've got this roadmap for version one point zero and uh, they'll they're, they're just going to be on it for the long haul. Obviously, Presto is one of those things because yeah, well, why isn't it a version one? Like that doesn't make any sense. Anyway, it is what it is. So it's not even zero point two point one seven. It's 0.217, whereas it was... So, you know, why not just say it's version 172 and now it's version 217? It would make just as much sense, right? So, yeah, it's it's a bit silly. But anyway, it is what it is. The other thing that people might be interested in, if you're in the Windows world, is file access auditing for FSX for Windows. So, basically, this allows um, auditing of file access if you require that in your most likely enterprise environment. I don't see many small startups or individuals using that. Yeah. So when you create your FSX, so you need to create a new one if you want that to be enabled. Uh, it's available in all the Windows file server version and size in all regions. You can send all your log to CloudWatch log and you pick your uh, log destination or you can send that to Kinesis 
data firewalls as well to be able to analyze them. So yeah, you use the NTFS or you see access log in the backend and then log all of that for you uh, if you want uh, to follow your FSX. So no good reason to use other type of SMB storage on cloud now. You can use FSX. And the, uh, the Aurora serverless announcement was around it supporting the V1 of it anyway, supporting fast database cloning. So you don't have to take a snapshot and then a restore. You can just do a clone of the running serverless instance. Uh, re- requires no additional space at the time of creation. So you can just uh, clone it. If you wanted to you know, test out some schema changes, you can just do a clone quickly, uh, you know, run your, cha- run your schema change, test that it's all working out and then you can run them on your your, your original. Um, you can use it to run queries on production data. So yeah, that's kind of a neat, a neat thing if you happen to be using Aurora serverless version one. That used to exist a long time ago, um, that process on a storage on-prem um, where you could do a vClone, used to be called. I mean, mm, yeah. for people who know NetApp, um, mm-hmm. and then you were able to do that. Like, you use the clone of the disk with that duplicating the, the data. So that was uh, yep. that's good. That's coming to cloud now. Yeah, so you so you only pay for additional storage if you yeah. make data changes exactly. to the client cluster. Yeah. 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 Otherwise you hit the same storage. Yeah. 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 That's right. It's neat. AI Yeah. Uh, I got nothing on that. It seems like just some minor announcements to be honest. So we can go through them Quickly, SageMaker model registry supports rollback of deployed models. I don't think we need to go into that because it kind of explains itself. Yeah, it does what it says on the, on the tin, presumably. SageMaker pipeline supports callback capability. Yeah, once it's once it's done its task, you can run something to you can run something at the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. The end of the callback. Yeah, at the end of the pro, the job. Yep. Translate integration with CloudWatch events and EventBridge. Isn't that the same thing nowadays, actually? CloudWatch events and EventBridge. Yeah. Isn't that, wasn't CloudWatch events integrated into EventBridge? Yeah, that is a bit weird. I think it's the same service in the backend, but you use it differently, I think, um, where you create events. Ah, yes. Good point. Yeah, so EventBridge is the service, but they're talking about CloudWatch events being the things that you generate using, uh, the yeah, so like a, like a like 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 a cron a cron cloudwatch event yeah so but yeah basically the integration is you can now use cloudwatch events to send you a notification when the translation finishes right well you might trigger a step function lambda function after that uh, all sorts of things right, right. event which will be just a message so yeah but basically it means you don't have to query to see if it's finished yep fair enough let's move on to other cool stuff yeah, of the things that are here, the location service—that's that's neat. This is a service that was released in December last year in preview, and it's GA now. So this is a little bit like Amazon's foray into, or sorry, AWS's foray into uh, mapping and location services. So it gives you the ability to serve up maps, to do um, things like geolocation, to do things like geofencing, to you know track users as they're moving around um, using your app, that sort of stuff. When it was first released, it just had pretty much your standard, if you've used any mapping services, your OpenStreetMap style maps, uh, just vector maps. Uh, they've now got satellite imagery as well that they've added in. I don't know how awesome it is. It looks okay based on the preview I'm just looking at here. But look, it's not going to be quite as sophisticated or polished as you know Google Maps is at this point in time because obviously Google has spent you know let's say how long twenty years um, building up expertise and 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 um, polish in this space. But if you're a developer working in the AWS. Uh, ecosystem for instance you you're building apps in amplify or whatever it makes sense to look at amazon location service and see what you can do with it to integrate those sorts of services into your into your applications so one thing i found interesting that i can't really recall from other mappings is in the routing you have three options two of which are usual ones car and walking Mm -hmm. but the third one is truck and you can give the dimensions and weight of the truck. Okay. And it will take that into account so that you don't get routed below 
bridges that are too low or yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, over bridges that can't handle the weight of the truck. Yeah, 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 right. That's interesting. And obviously, it's not surprising that a company that provides a lot of presumably logistic services to Amazon uh, would be interested in making truck transit more efficient. I'm sure that data is very accurate wherever Amazon parcels get delivered. <laughs> yes, I'm sure you're right. Yeah. I wonder if they make all their delivery people, you know, the Amazon Prime people who come in their personal cars, um, you know, I wonder whether they are required to tell Amazon how much their car weighs and all that sort of stuff so that they can pump it in. A um, couple things in the region space. There's a new region coming in Tel Aviv. It will come in the first half of 2023. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... That's great if you need to build stuff in Israel. Well, the data can stay in country and they will have three AZs. So straight away, most of the product probably. And speaking of three AZs, maybe usually not interesting to most people, but the Beijing region gets its third availability zone as well. The one thing that makes this remarkable is that Beijing was the last region that did not have three AZs. So from now on, you really don't have an excuse not to take into account free availability zones in your designs. Actually, yeah. No, wait, there's, I think, one exception, and that is the California region, which technically speaking has free ACs, but you only get to use two of them. It's a local zone as well, yeah. Well, it has the local zone, yeah. but you only have two regular availability zones to use. That was the same in Singapore for a while, I think. You couldn't uh, have three ACs in Singapore for a while, yeah. The, the Nano would be maybe a client, client VPN launch desktop client for Linux. Yep, could work as a Nano. I haven't got a Nano. So. No, it was hard to find. Um, yeah. Well, the whole month's a Nano, start, <laughs> I reckon. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of things that we skipped over quickly. Yeah, and even and even some of the things we talked about were in a in a normal month we probably wouldn't have even brought them up. Yeah, like you know, WAF having fifteen new text transformations. Yeah, it's it's handy, but it's kind of um, just a bit of icing on a cake. It's not really anything brand new or you know earth shattering. So yeah, and I think you mentioned like Sassel Auth for you know Lambda and Kafka. Yeah, those sorts of things. Yeah, we wouldn't have mentioned those in the usual month. Yep. Okay, hopefully we have, we have better work next month, July, yeah, getting, yeah. getting closer to reinvent. Well, does that does that bode well for, for exciting announcements, or does that mean there'll be a dearth of exciting announcements because they'll hold them off? They'll hold them off for... Are you for sure they, October, they have, they have some good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I usually feel like we're now at a quiet period. I think July, August, or June, July... Maybe August is a bit quieter. Well, it's summer holidays. Summer holidays over there, presumably. Yeah. Not that they should stop working at any point because, you know, we expect them to be highly available. So that brings us to the end again. I'll once again thank our sponsors, the user groups called Sponsor Enabler, and our silver sponsors, AC3, CMD, and Do It International. Of course, as always, I want to thank my fellow host for today, JM. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, looking forward for next month with more exciting announcements. And Guy. Thanks, Alien. Always a pleasure to join you and learn all about what's new. So if you want to read the show notes, which contains all of the links of the things we discussed, you can find them in your podcast player or you go to our website at melp.awsug.org.au slash podcast. And of course, while you're there, join the users group Slack Come to our meetups, do all the fun things. And with that, thank you all for listening and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye.